Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For this Moses, the, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So it was as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf that they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it into powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that, we sh that shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who's brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. You have to ask, what happened here? Through the whole wilderness narrative, we see a back and forth between God and his people. They worry about how their immediate needs will be met, about the future, and about who will lead them. And each time they voice a concern, God reveals that he already had a plan for them and tries to teach them that they need more than the basics. They need to rely totally on Him. An extremely difficult lesson to learn, it turns out. They grumble about water. They grumble about food. And every time they grumble, God's answer to their need is dramatic. Water turns from bitter to sweet. Manna arrives from heaven. God is present in fire and cloud and smoke, the sound of a trumpet, thunder and lightning. God knows his people need more than food and shelter and a plan. They need the eyes and hearts to see his presence, to rest their hope in him. And he has never once failed them. Before Moses goes up onto the mountain to talk with God alone, he assures the people, 
do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Will you keep the Sabbath and not make idols? God asks the Israelites again and again. And again and again, the Israelites agree, we will do everything the Lord has said. And with that, God gives final instructions before Moses leaves them for his intermediate plan to be present with them. In Exodus 20, it says, Tell the Israelites this, You've seen for yourselves that I've spoken to you from the heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. Now, God has always forbidden idol worship, but here he explicitly forbids them to make anything fancy. They can't use tools or or silver or gold. They can't even cut the stones. It has to be all natural, just as they found it. He wants to keep them from sinning by keeping it simple. But doesn't that seem strange? Considering the elaborate nature of what he has planned for the tabernacle? I mean, why forbid images and gold and tools here and then later commission cherubim of gold and things like jewel-encrusted breastplates to be constructed by only the most skilled artisans? Well, I think it's no accident that the story of the golden calf comes in between the descriptions of the design and the execution of the tabernacle project. These stories sit in stark contrast to each other and illustrate just how powerful creative work is in shaping our souls and our culture. Far from artistic craft being something benign or frivolous, it's actually a gift that comes with the responsibility to become wise-hearted. This story gives both freedom and a caution, not only to artists of faith, but also to the church as a whole. Aesthetics are serious business. In Exodus 20, God already has the designs for the tabernacle ready to go. In typical dramatic fashion, it will be an impressive place with aesthetic impact like no other, not just because of what is created, but how it's created. The process would take deliberate intentionality and wise hearts. So in the meantime, he asks the Israelites to wait. He prescribes natural, untouched beauty of earth and stone for the temporary altar, materials which God himself created and hewn. Nothing is to be added or taken away, no tools, no gold, no silver. Nothing to indicate that what they've created might somehow be responsible for conjuring God up or or containing him by their skill or generosity. In Exodus 20, God makes it clear that he alone indicates where an altar should be located. 
God initiates the interaction by making his presence and his name known where he chooses. God receives the sacrifice and gives God's blessing of his own volition and in his own time. Unlike idols of the day who were thought to be sort of contained in the image of an animal or some sort of statuary, that they were able to animate through various rituals and incantations, Unlike that, God rested in the presence of his people on his own terms. The God of Israel was not to be seen as a totem to be called on for good luck or fertility or provision when the people felt they needed it. The God of Israel was to be worshipped in recognition that he had already been faithful, would always be faithful, and was the center of all of life. But instead... The people let their fear get the better of them. The New Oxford Annotated Bible has this in their commentary section. Even as God is giving Moses the instructions for establishing covenant worship, the Israelites impatiently begin worshiping in their own unacceptable way. During Moses' absence, the people become anxious, speak disrespectfully of Moses, choose Aaron as their new leader, and demand a tangible sign of God's presence immediately. Moses has stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and now they demand gods who shall go before us. Ironically, they want visible symbols of the divine presence, which are exactly what God is even now telling Moses how to create. While God intends Aaron's leadership— the use of gold and altar, festivals, offerings, eating and drinking, all to be a part of the worship of the tabernacle, the people in their impatience use all of these to dedicate a calf, a worship symbol with which God will have nothing to do. The golden calf was not initiated by God. Made sloppily with human hands and leftover materials, And it was made by people who were concerned more with their own spiritual experience and relieving their anxiety than truly worshiping and relying on God. So we start to see that the problem with the golden calf is as much about how it was created as it is about what was created. Artistic and created elements were used in the tabernacle but they were dictated and designed by God and executed by skilled artisans God had chosen and prepared with wise hearts. For God, the heart and manner of creating is directly tied to the outcome. A lack of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and craftsmanship led to the creation of an idol rather than an acceptable altar. Let's take a look at what happens in these two stories of idol and altar making to see just how stark the contrast is. It all begins with preparation. In one story, we see wisdom reflected. In the other, nothing but panic and chaos. As God prepares for the tabernacle, we find Moses up on the mountain in the cloud, 40 days and 40 nights. He spends time in prayer, listening for God's voice and receiving the detailed plans and instructions. 
And later when Moses asks for all with willing hearts to come and give the materials for the altar, the people withdraw to consider and pray. And only then those whose hearts were moved responded. And the skilled artisans who were chosen to execute God's design were called wise-hearted. They were blessed, prepared, and capable for the task. Whereas the preparation for the golden calf was marked by impatience and urgency. It says they grew impatient when Moses took so long to get back and said to Aaron, come, make us gods who will go before us. There's this real sense of, of hurry and worry to this story. At no point do we read that anyone stops to think or pray or listen. It's just all emotion and reaction. It's a panicked response to fears and concerns in an emotional outburst from pent-up frustration rather than wisdom. They demonstrate an inability to wait on the Lord. And then we see it again in the collection of the materials and the offerings. In both stories, offerings of gold are received from the people. Remember, the Israelites had taken a considerable amount of treasure with them from Egypt. The women had been instructed to ask their mistresses for jewelry and gold, which they had given gladly, hoping to be released from the plagues. And all of this, the Israelites still had with them. So for the tabernacle, the people brought the best they had to offer. Exodus 35, 4-9 says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And they do. Men and women with willing hearts brought gold jewelry of all kinds to be melted down and recast. And women brought blue and purple and crimson yarn, which they had spun by hand from goat's hair. The leaders brought gems and spices and oil for the lamps. They gave and gave as their hearts were moved until finally Moses had to give the command to stop. And even then, the people had to be restrained from giving because there was not only more than enough, there was too much. Can you even imagine the beauty of an entire community prayerfully, intentionally, joyfully giving the best they have to give, whether it be wealth or skills or talents, all to make God's presence known. But then there's the golden calf. They gathered round Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron, and he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron displays a blatant lack of understanding, taste, and discernment. 
as he haphazardly asks for whatever the people happen to have on them. This wasn't the good stuff that they had stored away. They frantically just pulled off whatever everyday wear they happened to have on without any thought or consideration. The men were simply instructed to take whatever they could find from the women and children. And not least, the difference is evident in the artistic design itself. The tabernacle and all its pieces were designed by God and crafted by well-trained craftspeople, lending multiple sets of expertise. The tabernacle tent, the ark, the altar, the garments, the table, oil, ephod, the courtyard, the breastplate, the lampstand, all of it. God instructs Moses, see that you make them according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. From the number of gold rings to hold the tabernacle exactly where they were to be placed, to the amount and type of oil to be used in the lampstands, the size, materials, the decoration, the colors of the curtains, skillfully woven waistbands, underwear, jeweled breast pieces and headpieces, all were intricately selected and dictated by God. And woven throughout the narrative, God again and again and again instructs that each piece be made by skilled craftsmen and women, wise-hearted ones, skilled artisans. Finally, at the center of it all, God commands Moses to put in the ark the testimony which I will give you, which are the Ten Commandments. The tabernacle holds the testimony of God. The project is initiated by God, spoken by God, blessed by God. Whereas the scripture says Aaron took what they handed him. Seemingly without thinking, Aaron just grabs what they give him, melts down the cheap jewelry, and crudely makes something that turns out to look roughly like a calf. No thought, nothing set apart, no skill, no craftsmanship, just a makeshift seat for an altar that would hopefully buy him time till Moses returned. The dedication of the tabernacle was conducted by committed and prayerful priests and choreographed rituals. At God's invitation, the people participated in worship in the tabernacle with beautiful feasts and singing and stories that uplifted and nourished the whole community, body and soul. But the dedication of the calf was haphazard and perfunctory. The people participated with the idol in drunken revelry and orgiastic indulgence that far from providing security that the people had longed for, actually put them in danger of being attacked by their enemies. God had a plan for the formation of his people through beauty and wonder. The tabernacle provided vision. It stirred the hearts to generosity and devotion. But the golden calf led to formation in indulgence and recklessness, that served their immediate base needs, but did nothing for their souls. These stories, side by side, outline that idolatry starts way before an image is created. It begins in the soul of the person. Anything can become idolatry. Our work, 
our preferences, our self-image, money, even worship. Artists have no more need to be concerned about idol-making than anyone else. In fact, in the Exodus story, we see that it is actually those without artistic gifts and skill that are in fact the idol-makers. The artists are instead gifted and instructed by God in how to make with a wise heart, and from that place are set free from previous restrictions. They're now free to create with tools, use gold, make images, and all kinds of beauty in order to honor God. Because they are gifted and disciplined in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and craftsmanship, they are set free to create. And what they create becomes the altar for God's presence reflecting the desire of God's heart. It was the artistry and the lack thereof, the aesthetics and the lack thereof, the design and the lack thereof, the thoughtful, prayerful participation and the lack thereof that led one construction project to produce an idol and the other a house of God. It is as we train our hearts to love the right things as we become wise-hearted ones, that we as artists find the freedom to create. The Wise-Hearted Ones series from The Verge Now podcast is presented by Convergence, hosted and written by Lisa Cole Smith, with original music by Jay Smith and produced by me, Dan ABH. Recorded on location at the lab at Convergence, located in Alexandria, Virginia. For more information on the Wise Heart at Once, please visit vergenow.org. You can rate and review this episode on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen and stream all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, and many, many more.